Well, uh, if you haven't been here with us, we have been plugging our way through the Gospel of Luke. So as we're settling in this evening, I invite you to make your way to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is what we're going to be looking at uh, this evening. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at a sermon of Jesus's. So Jesus uh, shared a message on the side of a mountain uh, when it's in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke refers to it as a level place on the side of the mountain, so we've been talking about it as uh, the Sermon on the Level Place. But over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at this sermon, and we've been talking about how Jesus described two paths. Two paths uh, referring to uh, the choices that we have. We can either walk the path of a disciple, which is someone who has fully committed themselves to, I want to be like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. I want to sound like Jesus. Everything I do, I want to look like him or everybody else. And Jesus has talked about those two. So the first week, uh, he talked about those two paths. He talked about the blessing that uh, inherently goes with the one path and the dangers that inherently go with the other. And last week, we talked about how those people that are fully committed to Jesus, uh, what that looks like, and and some of the the external things that that we see in a person's life like that. And so we talked about loving our enemies, about uh, loving those people that are just difficult to love, the people who uh, choose to persecute us or or make life difficult for us, and the way that that we show them love is reflective of the way that God has shown love to us. So as we looked at those the last couple of weeks, we're going to continue in Jesus's sermon uh, again tonight, and we're going to look at verses 37 through 42. And uh, in these verses, he goes beyond what we looked at the last couple of weeks, talking about the the external things that we do. Uh, He's going beyond those this week, and instead of just talking about the things that a disciple does, what he's going to talk about is is who a disciple is at their core. What, What does a disciple look like when we get to the true heart of the matter. He goes beyond the externals. There's, we, we can't just outwardly imitate what we're supposed to look like anymore. Uh, this is true, Christian, cr- true Christianity from the inside out. If there's going to be accountability, uh, as we're going to talk about this week, if there's going to be accountability amongst us, if we're going to truly live the way that God tells us to live, it has to start with me. It has to start with you. It, we, we, we can't look at someone else and say, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, what we have to do is look at ourselves and say, God, help me to be more like the person that you want me to be. We're often aware of little faults in other people. It's easy for us. Just our natural tendency is we, we look around and we look at our spouse. That's a, a really easy and obvious one. We look at our spouse and we see little faults in them frequently, don't we? We look at our friends or we look at our classmates or we look at our, our coworkers and we look at them and we see, oh man, they have an anger problem. They have a gossip problem. They have this or that or whatever it may be. We, we can easily see the faults in other people, but, but we overlook the most important person that we can look at and judge, right? We look at other people and we don't often look in the mirror. So that's what Jesus is going to be talking to us about this evening. Let's not just look at the faults of other people and ignore our own faults. We have to deal with our own faults first. He calls his disciples. Jesus calls his disciples to this self-accountability. It means that we have to be able to receive correction. And when and only when we're able to receive correction ourselves and, and work on ourselves and make sure that we are right, do we have the right to look at someone else and, and help and correct them. Let's look at our verses. We want to look at uh, verses 37 through 42. Luke 6, verses 37 through 42. We're going to read the whole chunk and then come back and dig into it a little bit. So I'd invite you to follow along as I read. Starting in verse 37, Jesus says, 
Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given unto you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck that out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray together, church. God, we, God, we gather together. We uh, lay ourselves before you and before your word this evening, God, knowing that, that we are not perfect people, that we are not people who have it all together. But God, we know that you are able to do incredible things in our lives. So God, as we come here, as we look at uh, this continuation, this, this to be continued of Jesus's sermon that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, God, we pray that God, that you would do your work in our hearts and in our lives. God, that you would help us to, to not be someone who is outwardly critical of other people and not inwardly introspective and, and critical of ourselves. God, help us to be people who look at the log in our own eye first, who offer generosity and, and forgiveness and, and benevolence to other people because you have shown and, and given those things so generously to us. God, we lay ourselves before you and pray that you would work and that you would move in our hearts, that we would be different leaving here as we have laid ourselves before your word than we were when we came. So God, we pray that you would speak and that you would use this time. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's start breaking this passage down a little bit. So when we look at the first section, let's look at the first two verses, 37 and 38. What we see here is Jesus talking about the spirit of a disciple. In these two verses, he talks about some specific things. He talks about do not judge and, and do not condemn and uh, pardon and, and give and, and it will be given to you. He talks about all these things. And uh, the first one that he mentions is an accepting spirit. He says those first two things, do not judge and you will not be judged, and do not condemn and you will not be condemned. What he's talking about there is having an accepting spirit. Jesus calls for an accepting spirit by offering two negative and, and, and kind of they, they, they kind of work hand in hand statements, mutually defining charges. He says, do not judge and do not condemn. See, we, we start with these. I thought it was interesting that we start with these because these are some of, I would argue, the most misinterpreted and misapplied verses in all of Scripture. Because, see, we don't have to just come and, and talk to Christians that are sitting here at church for these verses to be familiar. If you go to uh, Walmart or, or you go to Target or you go to the gas station and you start talking to people, you ask them, does the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? We always like the King James Version when we talk about this for some reason. <laughs> judge not lest ye be judged. Well, that, that sounds familiar, right? Lots of people know those verses, and, and they may not know anything about what they mean or, 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 or what Jesus was talking about when he said them here, but, but they recognize those verses, right? And the way that they're often applied is, we're just, everybody mind your own business. Live and let live. Let people do what they want. They, they're going to have to deal with their own stuff. I'll just, I'll just focus on my stuff, right? That's what we see at first glance, when we ask culture what these verses mean, what these verses are talking about. 
Americans love these verses because judging someone else is often thought of as one of the most heinous crimes that we can commit. Don't, don't judge someone else. Don't tell them what's right or wrong for them, right? Never mind that when we say that, when we apply these verses in that way, what we're really doing is just taking them out of Scripture and, and, and totally ignoring what every, every other verse in Scripture that talks about judging and, and being there for one another and, and true love looks like and what true love means. So when we take these verses out and we make them mean that, it's a dangerous spot for us to be in. We don't have to go far to ignore other verses that talk about this topic because in next week's passage, we go like four verses forward, we see that Jesus calls his disciples to judge people by their fruits. So how do we make sense of what Jesus is going to say next week, judge people by their fruit with what he said this week, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, what Jesus is, is talking about here, Christ's exhortation, do not judge, is not suggesting everybody just go do what you want. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's saying here is he is disallowing a, a judgmental, a condemning disposition or attitude towards other people. You, you guys have either been around someone like that or, or maybe been that way yourself at times with people, right? We have that attitude with, with our arms crossed that Sorry, I shouldn't say we. You guys don't ever do that. I don't ever do that. We're talking about other people. All right, other people. You know, they, they, they sit there with their arms crossed, and it really doesn't matter what people do, right? They're never happy. It really doesn't matter how good or bad a person is because there are just times where other people hold a grudge, and we just we, we, we look for things to be critical about. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What he's disallowing is that judgmental attitude towards others. What Jesus prohibits is judgmentalism. Let's make a word out of it this week. Judgmentalism. Judgmentalism attacks, it, it, it attacks the motives of someone. It, it, it looks at something that someone else did and it attaches a motive to it, assuming that, that they were intending to do the worst possible thing. See, what it does, judgmentalism, it, it sees other people in the worst possible light. A lot of times when we see something happen, we, we all, we're adults here. We know that, that a lot of the times there's, there's two different versions of a story, right? We see what actually happened, and, and we have this person's story, and we have this person's story. Judgmentalism assumes the worst in the other person. Judgmentalism, at its best is a sign of spiritual cancer, of spiritual sickness, of, of the reality that, that someone really is not focusing on the, the fact that they've been forgiven and, and, and generously given to by Jesus. And at worst, judgmentalism is a sign of the fact that, that there is no spiritual life in a person. It's a sign of spiritual death. That's why Jesus tells us in these verses when he say, says, judgmental people will be judged, he says, condemning people will be condemned. What he's saying is not that you can earn being forgiven. If you forgive other people, then God's going to look at that and go, you know what, you get a thumbs up. Not because you're good enough, but because you were forgiving towards other people. Because you were generous towards other people. That's not at all what this is saying. Because that is a, a, a form of salvation by works, right? If you just do these things, then God will forgive you. And we know with absolute certainty, based on everything else that the Bible says, that's not true. We're saved by our faith in Jesus alone for salvation. We, we believe in Jesus alone. That's all it takes to, to be forgiven and, and given new life by God. 
So what is he talking about here when he says, judge not, lest you be judged? What he's saying is, if we have a condemning attitude towards other people, if we have that, that judgmental attitude that sees the worst in other people, what he's saying here is, that's a person that truly doesn't understand what Jesus has done for us. That's someone that truly hasn't been given the life that, that God talks about when Jesus said that, that we would have life, that we would have it to the fullest, that we would have it abundantly, that we would have it perfectly like God created it to be. That's someone that, that doesn't have that form of life. If we are judgmental, if we are condemning towards other people, Jesus is saying, you don't get it. The next thing that we see here, Jesus talks about in verse 37, he says, pardon and you will be pardoned. He's talking about having a forgiving spirit. Jesus couples his demand for an accepting spirit, a non-judgmental disposition with the demand for a forgiving spirit. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven in other translations. The ESV says uh, that, that section, pardon and you will be pardoned in the New American Standard. It says in the ESV, forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus is not implying, just like I talked about a minute ago, that if we forgive other people, that, Jesus, that, that, that God will forgive us, that we will earn our salvation. But what he's saying is that when God's grace saves a person, that when we truly understand what God has done for us, it changes him or her forever. A forgiving disposition is evidence of the fact that a person has been forgiven. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Just like we talked about last week when we said that we love our enemies, that the, the only way that we can love our enemies is with this spirit, with this core at, at the very center of who we are. It's not something that we can just oh, muster and try real hard and, and, and make ourselves love our enemies. It's impossible for us to do on our own. What it is, though, is, is something that, that reflects the core of who we are, that if we have been loved as generously as the Bible talks about how we are loved by God, if we have been forgiven as incredibly as the Bible talks about how God forgives us, and it says that, we, that he has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. You, you can't go far enough to be separated as far as, as God has separated our sins from us. We've been, if we've been forgiven in that way, only, only, only reasonable reaction for us towards other people is that if we understand how much God has forgiven us, we forgive other people in the same way. True Christians can and do forgive. That's not to say that we don't struggle with forgiveness. That's not to say that it's not difficult for us to forgive sometimes, but even in that difficulty, even in that fight, there's a fight there. there, there there's a a knowing what the right thing to do is and a, and a continual fight and progression until we are able to forgive even the most difficult, even the most unlovable people. We, we, we try and we try and we try until we can love them. We try and try and try until God is able to work in our hearts, work in our core to help us to forgive these people. The command does not, hear this, the command does not require that we just say, no big deal. There are times where we have to offer forgiveness to someone who has legitimately done evil things to us. It's not to say, oh, it's nothing. It's no big deal. 
it's it's not to make little of the the evil that's been done. It's not to make ev- to make to make little of the sin. What it is supposed to do is is point to the fact that we have been loved incredibly by God, and we are able to love incredibly towards other people. What it means is is not to make little of the guilt, but to just simply to to forgive it. So we see an accepting spirit. We see a forgiving spirit. The last thing that we see is a generous spirit. Let's look at verse 38. Jesus says here, he says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. What Jesus is communicating here is that true disciples give and give and give. It's the model that we see of of other people in in scriptures that that truly got it, that truly understood. Just read the book of Acts and, and read everything that the Apostle Paul went through in his life. If anyone ever had an excuse to just say, you know what, God, I did a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I, I've got to have hit my quota, right? God, I've, I've done enough. Paul would have every right to say, all right, God, we're good, right? No, he, he kept giving and giving and giving. He was beaten for the gospel. He was shipwrecked for the gospel. He was bit by a snake as he was trying to, to, to take the message of the gospel to other people. He gave and gave and gave. True disciples give. Beneath all of the external stuff that we talked about last week, what Jesus is saying is in our spirit, disciples are accepting and forgiving and giving. And the reason that we're like this is because of the model that we have. The man that we attempt as best as we can to model our lives after, right? We call ourselves Christians because we want to be just like Christ. So as we stand here and and look at these things and and see that we are supposed to be generous, that we're supposed to be forgiving, that we're supposed to be accepting, we're like this because Jesus was like this. Just like the the golden rule that we talked about last week, this isn't just something that's passive. It goes beyond simply not doing bad stuff. It seeks the positive. It, It seeks the good of other people. I want to pause and and just remind all of us, because if you've ever listened to preachers on TV, there's a a danger, there's a a potential hole, a a potential pitfall here that we could slip into, of of taking something that we've heard on TV and, and putting it into what we're reading here. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is not give your life to Jesus and everything will be easy. This is not give your life to Jesus and, and, and give to the church and you'll be rich. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, give and it will be given to you. But what it is saying, it, it is a reminder for us that, that God is far more generous to us than we could ever be to other people. God will be no man's debtor, Scripture tells us. It, it, no matter how much we give to him, he is always able to give more to us. Jesus' illustration in these verses is just an incredible picture of that. He's talking about someone who, who came to purchase grain, and so they've got their, their bag there for the grain, and, and the grain is pressed down. Make sure there's not any space in there. It's also shaken together. Let's make sure that it, it falls down into every possible space, that, that you're getting a full measure, that you're getting a generous portion. 
And then the grain is piled up above the rim so much that it's, that it's falling all over the guy. It's, you know, it's, he's sitting there with the bag in his lap, and it's falling in his coat and falling in his shirt and just getting stuffed in all the, the places, right? It's talking about being given generously in the same way that God gives generously to us. This picture, as I was studying this week, I, I can't get past the fact that, that this picture of, of someone who brings their bag and says, I'd like to purchase some grain, knowing what, what a fair measure is, and a person that just piles on and, and, and pushes it down and piles more on and shakes it all together and piles it on where, where the person's getting buried in their grain. It's an incredible picture of how much God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives to people that don't deserve it like me, to people that don't deserve it like you. This overflowing abundance of God's love and God's grace is, is a picture that we cannot forget as, as Jesus points at us and tells us to be generous, to be forgiving, to, to love our enemies like he talked about last week. Jesus is the perfect example of all these things. He was accepting. He was forgiving. He was generous telling us to be accepting, to be forgiving, to be generous. Let's keep going. Verses 39 and 40, he says, be careful who you follow in these verses. He, he tells them a, a story, a parable. With a, a parable is basically just a story with a point. Jesus is trying to teach them in this. Let's look at verses 39 and 40 again. He says, he also spoke a parable to them saying, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Blindness in Scripture is, is a common figure of speech talking about spiritual blindness, talking about someone who, who, who doesn't see the reality of, of what the spiritual world is and, and what the spiritual world means and, and, and how it should apply to our lives. Jesus used this term in his first sermon in Luke chapter 4 that Bruce taught us a month or two ago, talking about this. In Luke 4.18, Jesus stood up in front of the temple and, and he read from the Old Testament and he, he said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Paul also talks about this idea of blindness as a spiritual condition in Acts 26 when he's talking about those who have not received new life in Christ. Paul, in, in Acts 26, is defending his faith before King Agrippa as he approaches the end of his life. And, and in that passage, he's, he's talking about what God has done in his life. And so he's remembering and recounting what God had done in his life when Jesus came and revealed himself to Paul in this incredible picture on the road to Damascus. So he's, this is Paul describing Jesus' words to him. Acts 26, verse 17 and 18, he says, Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So what Jesus is talking about here, he's, he, he says blindness, but he's not talking about people who physically can't see. He, he made a habit of, 
of healing people like that, whose, whose eyes didn't work, who couldn't see. But, but what he's talking about here is a, a spiritual blindness, someone who, who doesn't understand who God is or what God has done for them. And the reality is that on our own, all of us are spiritually blind. So, in our search for the truth, what does that look like? What are the resources? What are the tools that we have at our disposal to help us seek out the truth as spiritually blind people? Well, the first thing that we have is we have to make sure that we're seeking truth from the absolute source of truth, right? The only place that we can find truth is, is in one place. It's in God alone. And that's not a popular thing. That, that's, if, if there's enough people out there watching on the internet, that's one that will get me a comment, right? That's one that's going to get me an email because that's not a popular thing to say in 2020 that, that, that God is the only absolute source of truth. Because we live in a world where, where everyone likes to believe, well, well what's true for me is it, it can just be true for me, right? What's true for you can be true for you, and what's true for me can be true for me. Well, the reality is that, that there is one truth, that there is one place that we can look to to know that there is absolute truth, and it is God and God alone. I was talking with someone this week. I, I got a good giggle out of that idea of, of secular humanists. What's true for you is, is, is not necessarily true for me because when someone stands in front of you and says, what's true for you may not be true for me, and what's true for me may not be true for you, you know what they're doing? They're declaring an absolute truth that, that their truth is true for you. I just thought that was amusing. Uh, maybe I'm the only person that it strikes funny. Jesus, God, God is revealed to us through his word. Psalms 119, 105, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That God's words, that, that, that the Bible, that God has revealed himself to us through his word, that those words are like a, a light to guide our path. On our own, we may be blind, but, but as we look to God's word, the path starts to become clear. Second, as we're looking at this idea. Second, in our search for truth, next to God's word and, and Jesus' leading and in seeking truth in God, there are few things that influence us more than the authenticity of someone's example that we can come along and, and watch and follow and see. People become like their teachers. Simply put, Jesus is saying, and, and I will stand up here and I will tell you with absolute certainty Every single person that I have ever interacted with in a church setting, people become like their influences. The people that, that we put around us, we become like them. As we look to teachers, whether it's by their teaching, whether it's by their example that they model for us, they, they press into the pattern of our lives. If we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus. If we follow someone like the Apostle Paul, as, as he said, follow me as I follow Christ, if we follow someone like that who, who's modeling their life after Jesus, well, well then by becoming more like Paul, then, then we become more like Jesus. A equals B and B equals C, right? Let's remember our algebra. But there's also danger associated with that formula, right? Because if if I follow Jesus and I act like Jesus and I see Jesus living it out in front of me and then I become like him, well, the danger is that if we put bad influences into our life, if we put bad examples into our life, then we're in a dangerous spot. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, if your leader is blind and you follow him wherever he goes, you're both going to fall into a pit. It's kind of a humorous picture. But if your leader sees with moral clarity and, and follows the path that God tells us to follow, you're on a good path. If you're following someone that's on the wrong path, then you're on the wrong path. In addition to being careful who we follow, it's also important for us to not just look forward and look ahead to to the person that we're following, but also to remember that most of us, if not all of us, we should also pause and, and look back over our shoulder and remember that there's people following us as well. Maybe it's a, a coworker that looks up to you. Maybe it's a, a, a child. That's an incredible opportunity for us, right? Whether they're your own biological child or, or, or one that you've just kind of adopted as a friend of the family. We have people that, that look up to us. And so in the same way that, that it's important for us to remember and be careful about who we follow, that's also especially important because there are people that are following us. And the, the key things that, that we do, the, the decisions that we make in life, that's going to impact people that come behind us as well. This passage, this, this little chunk here, brought me in a roundabout way to something that's just, it, it's really important to me. It's something that, that I am here as a result of, and I think it's something for all of us as a church it's important for us to remember. Because as we look at this and as we talk about the blind leading the blind and the danger of, of following a bad example, and, and as I added to that, that, the importance of following a good example reminds me of the fact that in my life, I am here today because I had what I would refer to as a Paul in my life. You know, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, he, he made a habit of bringing people alongside of him. Hey, Timothy, come on. You, you want to be a pastor like I'm a pastor? Well, 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 come with me and I'll show you what it looks like. I'll, I'll be your leader, your, your teacher. You can be my disciple and, and follow along and learn what it looks like. It's important for us to have a Paul in our life. Someone that we can look to and say, I want to learn how to do it like that guy does it. It doesn't mean that you have to learn how to be a preacher. It just means you have to learn how to be a disciple, to, to live on that path that Jesus has been talking about. Find someone that, that you can look at and you can say, man, that person gets it. That person's doing it right. Find that person and just be a little tag along. Can I, can I, can I come with you and do that? Can I... Why, why did you do it that way? Ask questions. I have, I have four children, and if you haven't heard by now, I have a fifth one on the way, so that's a whole other thing. No, no, no. That's not the point. What the point is, is I've got kids that whether I like it or not sometimes, they just tag around. My four-year-old is the, 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 the greatest offender of this right now. Whatever it is that I'm working on or doing at home, can I help? Can I help, Dad? I got my tools. I, I see you got your tool bag out. I, uh, I'll, I'll go get my play tools and, and I'll help. Can I come? Just like Oliver wants to tag along and follow me because he wants to be like me. 
I'm dad. He wants to do things just like dad does them. Have a person like that in your life. Have a Paul in your life that that you look at spiritually and say, I want to be like that guy. Find a way to find a Paul. And at the same time, the, the only way that that relationship works is if we also remember the people that are behind us, find a Timothy. I am here today because of the influence of some Pauls in my life. Youth leaders and, 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 and other strong spiritual men that I've learned from and, and grown from. But it's also important for me to remember there's, there's guys like Logan and, and guys like Tyler and, 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 and Timothys that have been in my life that, that I got to take what was given to me and give it to them. The only way that, that we are here today is because over the course of the last few thousand years, from Jesus to the disciples to the, the disciples to the disciples to the disciples of all of those disciples, what this looks like has been handed down from generation to generation to generation. Take up your place in the line of having it handed from someone to you and handing it to someone else. All right, moving on, because I could just stand up here and talk about that one all night. The last thing that we're going to look at is verse 41 and 42. We're going to look at Jesus talk about a log and a speck. This is another fun one. Let's read verse 41 and 42 again. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see that there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Maybe I'm the only one, but, but I read these verses, and I, it's a humorous picture in my mind. I don't know if Jesus, like the, the people that are there listening to Jesus teach this, giggled, but I have to imagine that they giggled a little bit, because what I see that the picture in my head is like a, a Saturday Night Live sketch, or maybe a, a Marx Brothers sketch if you're a little older. We've got this picture of, of someone coming along with a, with a, a two-by-four sticking out of their eye saying, let, let me help you get that little speck out. Meanwhile, every time they lean in to look, like they're hitting the other guy in the head with this giant log that's hanging out of their eye. Let me, let, let me get that piece of sawdust for you. Dun, dun. Let me help you get the speck out of your eye totally oblivious to the fact that there is a much bigger problem going on inside of my own eye. This last principle that we see Jesus say is, simply put, deal with your own stuff first. That's a good message for all of us, right? Let's deal with our own stuff first. We cannot deal with our neighbor's splinter in their eye when we have a beam sitting in our own eye. That is, simply put, it's, it's hypocrisy. It's, it's being guilty of what the world looks at the church sometimes and, and assumes all of us are guilty of. Don't tell me what is right or wrong. If, you're, if you've got a log in your eye, who are you to judge me? Right? That's the attitude from about four verses ago. We cannot deal with the, the neighbor's splinter when we have a beam in our own eye. But what he does not say in these verses is to take the beam out of your own eye and then don't worry about your brother. Right? Jesus requires here, by, by, by reading what he said, 
he requires that we help each other out with our failings. But what he's saying is, if there's going to be accountability, if there's going to be correction, if there's going to be getting back on the correct path, the way that that has to start, it has to start with with me focusing on me, with me dealing with my own stuff, with you dealing with your own stuff. I, I said this a few minutes ago, we're, we're often aware of the, the little faults in other people, right? It's easy for us to see the faults in someone else. It's, it's not necessarily easy for us to see the faults in our own heart. What Jesus is calling his disciples to is self-accountability. What Jesus is calling us to is, is, is he's calling us to be able to receive rebuke, to, to receive correction honestly, so that we can go before the Lord and say, Jesus, could you take this big log out of my eye? Only after we've done that, only after we've come to God and said, God, work on me first. God, make sure, like the psalmist said, if there's, if there's any impure way in me, cleanse me first. But after we've done that, then and only then are we able to offer help and correction to our brother. I was talking to someone this week about our tendency to read a Bible verse or, or perhaps sit in a church setting like this or, or listen to a sermon on TV or on a podcast or something, and, and we hear something, and we, we hear something that, that may convict, maybe at one of these difficult truths of Jesus, and we hear it, and we, we look at it, and we go, oh, yeah, you know what? You, you know who needs to hear that? My wife. She needs, she needs to hear this one. We sit in church, and we go, he's talking to you right? Sometimes we, we have that tendency. We see it when it applies to someone else. And we totally ignore the fact that it applies to us. It's easier for me to see, you know, honey, he's talking about you. Hey, I read this verse today. I thought it applied to you well. just wanted to leave this here. You know what? We can't deal with our neighbor's problems without dealing with our own problems first. We have to deal with our stuff. Sorry, I turned my iPad around and it flipped around. lost my spot. All right. After all of that, after we slow down and we pause and we realize that, that God wants me to deal with me first before dealing with someone else, it's important for us to, to look at those verses and see he still tells us to help other people too. I'm still supposed to deal with the speck in my brother's eye. I just don't get to do it while there's a plank or a log in my own. He says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. Jesus does not absolve us of community accountability. And this one's kind of difficult for us sometimes. And it doesn't matter which side of, of the relationship you're on, but, but God has given us each other because he knew that we would need each other. 
He, would, he, he knew that there would be times where I am weak and I need someone to, to come alongside of me and to put their arm around my shoulder and to help me through a difficult season. And he knew that there would be times in, in the life of, of my brothers and sisters in the family of faith that, that I need to come alongside of someone else. And, and honestly, neither one of those are, are comfortable or easy places to be because when there's something going on in my life, I don't naturally want someone else to come alongside of me and say, hey, you know what? We, we need to work on this. That's uncomfortable for me. But you know who else it's uncomfortable for? That person that has to come and do it. But it's the best path. But it's the path that, that, that as we've been talking about for three weeks now, there, there, there's the best path and there's the easy or the comfortable or, or, or the, 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 the wrong path, the dangerous path. Jesus does not absolve us of accountability to one another in these verses. He says, pay attention to your faults first, but then turn your attention and, and, and help your brother. Galatians chapter 6 talks about this idea very, very clearly. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brother, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What he's saying in these verses is we've got to deal with, 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 with problems in the family. Make sure that, that, that you're clean. Make sure that you're doing what's right. But once you do that, we have a responsibility to one another. So I was looking at this and thinking about this. This was a perfect week that if we were sitting inside with the big screens that everybody could see, I had a video clip that we were going to watch. But there's a lot of you guys like out here that can't see the little TV we've got out here. So I'm just going to try to describe it for you. All right. So about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a TV show called Lost that was on TV. I loved Lost. I enjoyed watching it. It was a story about an airplane that landed on this island in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. And all of these people that were in the plane crash had to figure out how to survive on this island as they were lost out at sea. All kinds of crazy stuff going on around this island. But Jack, the, the, the guy who had kind of been thrust into the position of leadership, hey, you, you kind of seem like you know what you're doing. You're in charge now. So Jack is dealing with this conflict among the camp. And as he's dealing with this, this fight that's breaking out over water or, or, or something silly that, that they're fighting amongst themselves, he, he kind of stands up and stomps his feet and says, enough. And I want to read for you guys just a, a little section of what he says. Talking about this, this, this fighting that they do, he says, we can't do this. Every man for himself is not going to work. It's time to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. Last week, most of us were strangers but we're all here now. And God knows how long we're going to be here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. See, as, we, as I looked at this idea from Jesus, that, that statement that he made, just it got stuck in my head. He didn't say it better than Jesus, but he, he said it in a way that, that made sense to me. Jack Shepard said, if we can't figure out how to live together, we're going to die alone. That applies really clearly to, to what Jesus is telling us here. If we can't figure out how to, to live together, and, and what that means is we are a family. The Bible talks about us, all of us. Look around. 
we've, we've got some crazy uncles in the group, but, but we are a family, right? And as a family, as a group of people who have been given to one another, we have a responsibility to each other. That we're there in the good times when, when we get to give hugs and celebrate, and we're there in the bad times and in the difficult times where there's a speck in our brother's eye or a log in our eye, and someone needs to come along and, and put their arm around our shoulder and say, hey, we've got to work on this. Jesus is not saying, just, just deal with your own stuff. He's saying, deal with your stuff. And then we get to be a family and, and work together. And, and sometimes that means coming alongside of someone in a difficult season in their life. And being there for each other, no matter how hard it gets. If we can't live together, we're going to die alone. Sum this all up. This sermon from Jesus in Luke 6 is a timeless outline of how believers should manifest the gracious character of God that we have received, that we have been given, that, that, that we've seen on display from God the Father and, and, and through Jesus, his Son. How we should manifest that outwardly towards other people. Mercy, love, grace, forgiveness, those are our characteristics. They're, they're, they're things at our very core that should dominate our character, even if it requires great personal risk, even if it requires us doing difficult, hard things like we've talked about the last few weeks. Last week's message talked about how a disciple acts outwardly. This week, the spirit of Jesus' disciples, the, the, the core of who we are is described And it's described as a magnanimous spirit. It's a big uh, Scrabble word for you. Magnanimous is is described as generous or forgiving, especially towards a rival or a less powerful person. That generous and forgiving spirit, accepting, forgiving, the things that we've seen in this passage from Jesus, that is the spirit of who a disciple is. He doesn't say it's the spirit of everyone who attends church. He doesn't say it's the spirit of everyone who uh, uh, describes themselves as a good person. But this is the path of a disciple. Someone who has said, Jesus, you get it all. We've been talking about it for three weeks now. It is essential for us to realize that the quality of our inner lives, that, that who we are at our core is key to walking that path of discipleship. It's not something that we can just fake it, do the external things, and, and look the part. The very core of who we are, our spirit, has, 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 has it has to be reflective of who God has been to us the only way that we love other people, the only way that we give generously when other people don't deserve it is because God has given generously to us when we didn't deserve it. We're going to finish up. Uh, If you want to talk to somebody or or, or something that uh, Jesus has shared with all of us tonight has struck a nerve or or resonated with you, I'd invite you to come talk to our prayer team afterwards. They're going to be over here uh, to my left, your right, as the service is finishing up. So uh, I'd invite you to come talk to them with whatever question, whatever concern, whatever problem you may have. They would love to pray for you or come find me because I'd love to talk to you too.
Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your work in our lives. God, we thank you for this uh, reminder. It seems like week after week after week, God, we've, we've been spending our time in this sermon. God, we're challenged week after week after week now, reminded week after week after week now, God, the only way, the only way that we can successfully be the people that you call us to be is, is by the work that you do in our hearts, that when you reveal yourself to us, God, then and only then can we show it to other people. God, help us to be people with that magnanimous spirit, the spirit of generosity, the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of love for other people. God, help us to be generous and loving people like you have been loving and generous to us. God, we thank you for your generosity and your love to us. It's the only reason we're here. We love you. We need you. We thank you. Amen.